I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. You are listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been following the podcast, you know that I had the opportunity to be a part of Nord's Living Stronger Forum this last weekend, and it was amazing. I was on the panel with two other amazing women, Beth McKenna and Kate Dykman. What a beautiful weekend of connection all across the world. It was such a fun experience for me, and I'm so grateful I was there. I'm not sure yet if the recording will be available for anyone who didn't register, but I will find out and let you know. The forum we contributed to was from the perspective of a caregiver and what we've done to manage our stress and our emotional well-being since our kiddos were diagnosed. Some of us are better than others at making that stuff happen. But let me tell you, it's vital to fill your own oxygen tanks. I have a picture on my fridge that is a constant reminder to check in with myself throughout the day. If you want to hear more about some of those very small steps, go back and listen to episode 29 with my sister, Christy Foster. So in the spirit of Nord and with caregivers in mind everywhere, I wanted to keep this important subject and the momentum of it going. So I am very excited to introduce you to my guest today. Wow, she's amazing and you're going to love her. She lives in Kelowna, British Columbia with her family and is the founder of Mind Over Mat. It's so much more than a fitness yoga studio. She does so many different types of classes and also youth classes. And when things go back to the way they used to be, she's also holding retreats for caregivers. She's a superwoman in the world of mental and physical well-being. She's also the mother to a beautiful girl named Darby. At just five months old, Darby was diagnosed with a rare disease called Pallister-Killian syndrome, PKS for short. It's a very rare developmental disorder that affects many parts of the body. She has so much to share on the subject of practical things we can do for self-care and a couple ideas that just lit me up when I heard them. So let's just get this party started. Here's my beautiful guest, Tyra Skibbington. Hi, Tyra. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's so sunny in Seattle today. It is cloudy. Okay, it's cloudy in my place, but that's all right. I, I'm okay. The, the temperatures are good. So you're my second guest joining me from Canada, actually. So I really feel like I'm stretching my <laughs> podcast wings lately. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you're here. Yeah, thank you. Kelowna, British Columbia is where I currently reside. Nice. Well, thank you for contacting me. I know you messaged me and told me that you have a beautiful little girl named Darby who has a rare disease. Can you tell us all a little bit about that and how it affects her? Yeah. So my daughter is 13 years old. She'll be 14 pretty quick here. And she was born with something called Pallister-Killian syndrome, uh, named after the geneticist that discovered it. And what that means for us is 
She is a newborn in a 13-year-old's body. So she has number 12 chromosome that's all funky. The way we describe it when we sort of talk to her classmates and friends is that it's like she's this big puzzle and she has extra pieces. And the pieces sometimes don't fit and sometimes the pieces have extra parts to it. So it really doesn't even make sense for the puzzle. And so the symptoms that show up for Darby primarily and the things that we struggle with the most are extreme muscle tone issues. So she's very floppy, just like a newborn. She is deaf blind. She has seizures. And then she has unique facial characteristics that are associated with the syndrome. So we're pretty rare. There's about 500 of us in the world, a couple of Canadians that I know of. <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> and yeah, just with all of the issues related to sort of the symptoms I've already listed, we are immunocompromised. So she's in the hospital a lot. We've had multiple surgeries and yeah, we're fighting the good fight. So 13 years in, it's hard to believe sometimes that we've managed to keep going for 13 years. Yeah, those are profound symptoms for sure. And I think everybody listening, families especially who have kids like this, definitely feel that. Yeah. When was she diagnosed? Right after birth with the facial features, obviously, did they just put you right into genetic testing or did you know something while you were pregnant? Yeah, that's a great question. And obviously, you know, looking back, I question a lot of sort of what happened, but I was, I had a child before that was quote unquote neurotypical. So I think, you know, we didn't have, you know, our backup, we weren't worried about anything. And my pregnancy was pretty standard. I had uh, migraines in the final trimester. And then when I went to deliver her, they had a NICU team in the room just in case because her heart rate was dropping. And then when my water broke, it was a lot of water. And so we started to kind of go, hmm. And then Darby came out, not the way that fantasy, sorry, fairy tale kind of picturesque sort of thing. So she came out not looking very great. They uh, immediately took her off to the ICU, uh, PICU, NICU. And from there, it was just an emotional roller coaster. We spent 13 days being tested on this, that, and, and everything you can possibly imagine. And she had a bilateral cleft palate, which is a pretty obvious, no roof in your mouth, right? So that's a pretty obvious birth defect. So they kind of went from there and then we ended up getting a scan of her brain and there's parts of it that weren't connected and then she was missing parts. And so, yeah, we didn't officially get diagnosed with Pallister-Killian syndrome until she was closer to five months of age. And it was just one inclination that our geneticists had. We'd never had one in the province that we had been, um, that Darby was born in. So she was actually born in Alberta, which is next to British Columbia. And it was the first Pallister-Killian syndrome case. So he had seen it in a conference and wondered if it was her. We did a quick buccal smear, which is just a cheek sort of swab on the inside of the mouth. And he said, this is what I think it is, but we're not sure. And I went online and I looked up Pallister-Killian syndrome, found a family link to a connection of, of Pallister-Killian families. And as soon as we saw the pictures of the kids, we knew right away we didn't need the the phone call back from the geneticist. We knew right away that Darby was one of the, the 500 of, of the kids in the world that have Pallister-Killian syndrome. So the diagnosis came relatively early, but it blindsided everyone because we didn't have any sort of, you know, indications that things were sort of crazy or abnormal and all the ultrasounds were fine. So it was definitely a really traumatic time. Um, and yeah. I look back and I've had people ask me, you know, do you wish you would have known 
ahead of time. And I think I would have been that stressed out mom the whole time, just knowing that I had, you know, this kid that was struggling inside of me. And so even though I wouldn't wish what we went through on anyone, I think that it had to be the way that it had to be. Yeah. Yeah. She came out hot. That's yeah. a, that is an extremely traumatic beginning to this new life that you're going to live with, yeah. with Darby. So what about that first time? I know for me, I was like wailing a lot and I was so hurt and I was so confused and I was so lost and I was so isolated. What happened to you that made you kind of move forward into this world of self-care and helping caregivers and starting a fitness company and planning retreats? How did you get there? Yeah. Oh, I wish I had sort of the uh, the magic list of here's what you do and then you'll magically move <laughs> on to the next thing and it'll all be daisies and sunshine. But no, I think it's been an evolution. I think I'm resilient just generally, but I think that Darby took my resiliency to a whole nother level. And I I think that we we saw her fighting so much and pushing to keep going. And, and that was our motivation to just bring it, right? And so, yes. you know, we, we call it the, um, so our last name is Skibbington, but our, all of our family and friends call us Skibby. And so we've called ourselves Team Skibby no matter what forever. And that <laughs> we've sort of lived by that, that family mantra. And so for me, it, I, I, I felt like I lost control. And when Darby came out, you know, you, you think it's going to be some way you've read the books, you've prepared as much as you can, you even have the other child in my circumstance, I had another healthy child at home. So you think it's going to be one way, and then you're blindsided. And then you realize that what you're missing is control, you, you want to have some predictability in your life. And so what Darby did was was basically shine a big spotlight on the fact that I had control issues and I needed to let some stuff go. <laughs> <laughs> so she was the ultimate therapist for me. And once I realized that there wasn't much that I could control about her diagnosis and even her prognosis, because her prognosis isn't awesome, we don't go into it. And because I don't need that energy out in the, uh, the universe, but um, for us, it, it, it turned into how can we maximize the time that we have and and how can I be the best advocate and mom for her? And for me, that means taking care of myself and realizing that the control that I really, really needed could actually be focused on me. And, mm. and that's a really interesting revelation. Oh, you should say that again. Yeah, the, the control that I wanted so bad around my daughter's care and diagnosis and prognosis and all of it ended up being mirroring something that I needed, which was uh, to put the control on what I can do to yes. help her. And so that's where I sort of got obsessed and kind of invested time and energy. And it wasn't immediate. It's been, I mean, it, it has been an evolution. And for me, fitness has always been part of my self-care. And I took a break from it for a while, but it came back to me and, and, has, and has loved me back and welcomed me back. And what I found that I was missing was sort of the connection that I was dealing with with Darby because she's nonverbal, she's deafblind. So I don't know if she really knows who I am or what, what important part my life she is. I don't think she really understands that. And so for me, I needed to find a community and build a community of people that could understand what that might feel like and connect with and that's, I guess, where Mind Over Matt came about. It was just surrounding myself with people that were good and people that wanted to take care of themselves. And maybe it's not the special parent or, or the, you know, overworked, stressed out person. It's, it's just that the right people found me at the right time. And then it just kind of grew from there. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey. And I feel like 
we need to put ourselves, you know, they say put the oxygen mask on first, all of that. I mean, yeah, that's pretty taboo. But until you've actually lived the experience yourself and talked to enough people ahead of you on the journey, the most constant thing that I hear is that they wish they would have taken the load and shared it sooner. And I don't want to look back and know that I tried to do it all and took myself down in the process. It's not fair to my family, to my husband and to my other child. And it's certainly not fair to me. So once I came to that realization, it was pretty easy to sort of just put the steps forward. Like, what does that look like for me specifically? Man, I love that answer. And I kind of just want it all listed out because (laughs) everything you said is so true. It's so real. And I think that so many of us identify from the very beginning of that stage to having this aha moment with ourselves where we're like, okay, here's the hole. What am I going to do? What am I going to do in the hole? Yeah. And identifying that it might be a control issue. And for for me specifically, once I sort of stopped judging myself and and became like, I was very hard on myself. I, I, you know, if appointments didn't go well, I blamed myself. If I didn't if I couldn't get to that next stage with Darby, with her care and with her physio and with her therapy, you know, I took it on myself and that's not fair, right? I'm not a therapist. I actually signed up to be a mom and, and it's grown into these <laughs> like other parts. And then you start to lose your identity as a, as a mom. Like I just want to be a mom. I don't want to be all of those things. And so once I realized I could pick and choose and voice what was important to me and was going to help me and and then I can help her then it, it it turned out it's turning out at least to be this team that that actually steps on the gas pedal instead of on the brake all the time with us yes wow I love that Tyra tell me about mind over Matt I have a kinesiology degree so the human body's always been uh, my passion and uh, when I had kids I diverted off of the plan that I was on and then knew that I would come back to it we ended up moving to British Columbia very shortly after Darby was born, my husband had a job transfer that we just couldn't turn down. And we didn't know, of course, that Darby was going to be what we call quirky. So all of it was just going to be this big, beautiful thing. We were just going to move and reinvent ourselves in, you know, <laughs> beautiful Kelowna. And of course, that didn't happen. And so we came uh, to the realization that one of us had to stay home. And so that was me. And uh, I started to go crazy. And I started to lose the little bits of me that I really liked back when when life was a little bit simpler. And so I had to get creative about what that was going to look like for me if I really did want to move my body and find the resources to facilitate that. And so we ended up deciding to convert a space in our home and turn it into a little fitness studio. And then I just put myself out there and started developing classes and formats and one of my most popular ones is Hoga. It's a hiking and yoga class. Um, nice. <laughs> and we just bring our mats and roll them out at sunset and do a little yoga session and then hike out. And it's been beautiful and wonderful. But surrounding myself with with a community of people that I like and that like me back. And now the next stage of offering was the retreat that I was planning in April for special parents. And that didn't happen, of course, because of COVID. But it's put this, nord- this sort of focus for me, the shift to think about all right, now you've sort of built this beautiful community of people that, you know, love and care for what you're offering, but how can you offer it more to the people that are in your arena, as Brene Brown calls it, um, (laughs) 
So I, yeah, so now I'm trying to find ways to expand the offering into the arena. And uh, that's sort of where these self-care calls have been happening with Family Support Institute and trying to at least feel like I'm contributing something because I truly believe as a, as a special mom that you need to have people ahead of you on this journey and people behind you. Yes. And I want to give the hand and I want to ask for a hand and that is work and I want to put the work in. So that's sort of where Mind Over Matt is sort of moving towards and I'm letting it sort of happen organically. And of course, with the um, current state of sort of the, the COVID pandemic where, you know, I have to be cautious about how I do that. But at this point, the online offerings seem to be going well. I love that. Give the hand and offer a hand. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks to a lot of us. <laughs> I've heard it many times in your podcast. We don't ask for help and we assume that people know what we need. And, you know, I, we just shared on a self-care Zoom the other day, you know, like for me, when we brought Darby home, it was so traumatic to our friends, our family. Nobody knew what to say, what to do. Everybody was in shock. And I remember when we finally walked in the doors with this, you know, NG tube fed baby that, you know, had been through like multiple tests. They were booking surgery for her for in five weeks. Like it was just this crazy time. And there was this cooler sitting at my front door. And I was like, what is going on? And I remember opening it up and there was everything in it that you could possibly imagine, like frozen this, frozen that, everything. And I, and I remember bringing the cooler into the house. <laughs> and I remember saying, I will be the cooler. I will be oh the cooler. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. And I, I think that that's another thing that we've also said, right? Like people want to show up. People want to help in whatever way that looks like for them. and. I think accepting help is such an important part of the whole process for everyone. Yeah, that's really powerful. Well, and, you know, even this self-care Zoom that we've been running, you know, we had a panel of parents that are way ahead of me on this journey. Like we're talking like 25 to 35 year old kids that have done this, right? That have figured this life out that are still married, maybe even, right? Like, which is just amazing, (laughs) right? It's like, wow. And so, you know, like asking them, like, what, what would you tell me? What would you want us to know? Like your younger self, what would you want? And it was consistent um, that people were saying that I would have shared the load. I would have been more specific at what I would have asked. And I would have stopped assuming that I'm the only one that can care for my kid. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty profound. It's, it's, you know, a lot of these uh, parents have health issues because they just took the load. Oh, yeah. Right. And I, I jokingly said, you know, to drop off food at somebody's house is not does not take a lot of like effort, you could, you know, run to the grocery store and go in the frozen food section and just leave it at the front door. And so when I when I know somebody's in crisis, or when I feel when somebody's going through something, I just leave the food at the front door, I don't really wait for them to ask for the help. And I think, and the special needs community, we need to be doing a little bit more of that with ourselves in, in that we're just opening ourselves up and letting our tribe around us know that, you know what, this is all I need. We, I, I won't have time to make dinner, right? And instead of saying, when somebody's trying to help you, instead of them saying, what can I do to help or let me know if I can help, you can say, you know, we, we, I don't have dinner going on. Can you help us with dinner? And that's a really hard thing for people to do. And I think if people could just learn from the the cooler story and just know that, yes. you know, food, food doesn't like, <laughs> it's literally no time whatsoever. You don't have to make the fancy, you know, six course meal. It's, it's showing somebody that you care. Yeah. 
I can't remember who I was talking to on the podcast recently about this, about maybe even making a small list of things that you just have out there somewhere, whether it's your Facebook page or your website or whatever, of ways people can show up if that's what they want to do. And, you know, even even that I think is so helpful for some people to do, to just leave it there and then people don't have to ask questions or feel weird or, you know, come up with whatever. But yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. We came through a major surgery in September. And for us, we had our friends asking, you know, what, you know, at the time, what do you think you're going to need? And so I, I would also reach out to parents and say, if you know that you're going to be heading into like a crisis situation, like a major surgery or something, just like designate one sort of self-care buddy, right? And and have them be the, the person. So when somebody says to you, what can I do to help? You can say, talk to Tracy she has some ideas. And then it feels a little less like you're asking for help because you're just passing it to somebody who can manage that emotionally and energetically for you, right? So yes, emotionally and energetically, that's a very, very good thing to pass off. Yeah, especially when you're in the moment and in the thick of it with a surgery or a seizure or, you know, whatever, whatever your day is doing. Uh, yeah, that's really good. Have a point person. Mm -hmm. I do want to know about your your self-care video calls. Are these things that anyone can join? Can you tell us more about how to become a part of that and be on those sessions? Yeah, because I'm not an employee of Family Support Institute, it's an organization that's a grassroots organization here out of British Columbia. They're currently running Zooms for British Columbia families, but we are getting families that pop on that are, are not from British Columbia. But I definitely would encourage people to reach out to Family Support Institute if they were curious about whether or not they would be able to attend. I, I would be shocked if they were denied uh, because we want to, we want the message to come out loud and clear. Unfortunately, we're just finishing up the six-week session this week. And actually, this one's a little bit different this week. We're going to be talking about grief, how it creeps up. So, so that ended up becoming an idea out of the other five self-care uh, Zoom session. So yeah, so we basically just invited families to attend. And then we all just sat and talked about what what self care means. And then we actually applied some like, for me, it was really important in these sessions to actually give some tangible things that we can be doing that don't take a lot of time and energy. Give it to us, Tara. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, there's there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, something as simple as, you know, for me, when I when I'm in the throes of everything, uh, with my daughter's care. It's when I'm brushing my teeth and I look at myself in the mirror and it's just this like, wow, you know, you just have this moment where you're like, this is, this is my life. This is major suckage right now. Like I'm like not liking things right now. I'm just going to call it out, going to identify it and just kind of let it move through my body. And so what I started doing was wearing brighter colors because when I look in the mirror, I'm also sort of judging, oh my God, look at how tired you look. And so I started adding more color <laughs> to my clothing, which is kind of a funny thing. I love it. But it makes me feel better when I look in the mirror and I think, oh, I really, that color does look good on me while I'm like sleep deprived and super stressed out. And and I think having a visual reminder throughout your day, whether it's a bright piece of clothing or a candle smelling that you like, I think having those moments where you notice it, it kind of brings you back into that awareness, right? Exactly. And it means you're present, which means you can take yeah. a moment to be grateful for just that one second or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. And then I ended up, no, I didn't know this until a friend show, uh, pointed it out, but I started buying um, clothing that had like 
words on it. And so they were things like good times or good <laughs> vibes or whatever it was. And so I would bring those in my hospital care bag and I would put those on so that when I looked in the mirror um, in the, you know, day 10 or whatever it is, um, to remind myself that there are good times ahead and that, you know, you can just get through this and it'll be fine. So something as simple as that. One of the other things that I suggested is that showering, we all love showering and it seems like a treat sometimes when we're in the throes of the special care giving role. And so I say invest in the good stuff. So if you like the smell of lavender or vanilla or whatever it is, whatever you can afford, get the good soap, get the good shampoo, get the good body spray, whatever it is, so that when you are in the shower, you are maximizing that moment like <laughs> nobody's business, right? I love that. And for me, it's a scrub. Like I just, when I'm scrubbing myself, it's like, yes, I'm getting rid of whatever that day felt like or whatever that moment or whatever that morning felt like and, and I'm just scrubbing it off my body and and doing it that way the um what came out of that idea was the development of an arena playlist and it plays off of Brene Brown's concept of that we're all in the same arena and I have put together this playlist of songs that I play when I need to hear some stuff. And so, Me too, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so if I am driving to that audiology appointment or uh, heading to Vancouver for the big surgery, we've got a playlist that we that we listen to that kind of keeps reminding me to be present and joyful and 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 uh, just enjoy the the journey and and yeah. So there's so I, I recommend that people put together that playlist, not maybe when they're in the throes of crisis, but that they kind of develop something that will help get them through the moments because they do they they happen a lot for us. We attended a lot of appointments in the first you know ten years of Darby's life. Yeah. I love all three of those. Yeah. I love those. I, uh, th when we were talking about in some of the Zooms about some of the boundaries and barriers to self-care, you know, this, this one came up for me and, and it was the idea that we're constantly downloading all the time. We don't realize it. Right. And so whether it's flipping through Instagram or watching that really dark, you know, twisted Netflix show or that news article about that murder or whatever it is, we're downloading all the time. And for us as caregivers, especially full-time caregivers, that can be like really, really depleting in our, in our energy. Yeah. And so the, the suggestion came from that concept that, you know, being mindful of what you're downloading when somebody recommends a book to me, I'll say, is it dark, light? Where are we at? <laughs> right. And so, cause I'm going to need light right now. I don't need, you know, dark, sad, twisted. So yeah. Also just being mindful of what you're downloading all day. And, and the idea that there are people that are what we call emotional vampires, where they can suck the energy out of you. And even, you know, to a point for me in the last few years to recognize some of Darby's team that were not feeding the big picture for me, like being able to advocate like I realize, wow, I am at the next level of advocacy when I can say this, you are not a fit for our team anymore. I would like another therapist. Yeah, that's an empowering day when Ooh, we yeah. can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And to go back to something you just said, I think that that's another really important thing for parents to pay attention to, right? Like when you hear the buzzword self-care so much, you constantly think that you have to fill up your cup and fill and fill and, you know, do things and there's also the beautiful thing about self-care of unloading things, whether it's people, whether it's TV shows, whether it's friends, whether it's whatever it is. Self-care can be just as much of letting go of things as it is adding. Absolutely. Adding nutritious and nurturing things. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And then when you start to get into, and that's maybe where the momentum sort of picked up for me is when you start to get used to feeling a little bit better about certain things because you've let go and maybe it's like an actual letting go of something, you know, like a relationship or, or, you know, an appointment that you were going to for no reason other than just guilt, if I don't go or whatever you're letting go of, sometimes it's just letting go of the control and realizing that you've that you've been gripping a little too long. And that's a very powerful thing. Because once you get used to the letting go, it becomes a whole lot easier. But if all you're doing is gripping and gripping and gripping, it gets you you get overwhelmed and then it's just nobody's gonna rescue you. So you better start practicing rescuing yourself now. Cause yeah, there's there ain't no, you know, there's no fancy person at the end of this journey that's gonna be like, okay, okay, you've done enough. Here, come to mama, right? Oh my and god. Yes. Here's the paycheck that you should have got all those years, and here's all the spa gifts or tip. Nothing that's not happening. So it's like, how are you gonna rescue yourself? And then, yeah, it's a combination of letting go and putting in the energy where you want the energy to go. That is a very real and yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely how it is for sure. And I think it's hard for people to kind of get out of that mix of things, especially when you're pressured, right, by by therapists and family and doctors to do this and do this and do that. And today it's feeding and in five minutes it's walking and crawling and PT and OT. I mean, I could go on for seven hours about all the things you're told that you're supposed to do for your child in a day, but you'll die. Yeah. I mean, you you just can't do it and you have to find ways to best meet your child's needs, but yeah, also meet your own because your family's happiness and longevity depends on it. Right. And I think for many years, especially those moms and dads that are listening right now that are in the early stages, the first five or six years, yeah, you kind of get, you get caught in the loop. You're just like, maybe this next therapy is going to be the one, or maybe this new center will be, be able to offer or whatever it is, depending on what you're working with. And so you sort of get caught in this wheel and you just keep going. And then and maybe you have the kind of, you know, revelation that I had and realizing like, what am I actually doing this for? She's miserable while she's there. It's a hot drive to get here. It's there's never any parking. I'm mad. Right. And then we wheel in and it's just like waiting because they're not on time. And, and it's just it's who are we doing this for? And at the end of the day, it's we shifted from, you know, it was Darby first for the first five years, I would 100% say that because we attended literally 60 appointments a year. And that wasn't including surgeries and hospital time for pneumonias and all of our respiratory stuff. And then just in the last, you know, few years, we shifted from Darby first to family first. And it's what is the best thing that we can do as a family for the circumstances that we're currently experiencing. And it's not always easy to figure out what that is, but once we shifted our mindset and sort of made it our family mantra that it's like, what is the best thing for the family right now? So that we are all still together. We're still yes. team skibby no matter what. You know, <laughs> what 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 are we gonna what does this look like for us? And, in, and instead of making these knee-jerk reactions every single time we were having, you know, a discussion about Darby's care or whatever. And she's much happier kid for sure now because she's feeding off of the the calmer energy that's in the house. Mm, so totally. it's, yeah, it is, it's a game and you just kind of have to keep <laughs> rolling the dice and figuring stuff out as you go. But the one thing that I do remember learning when I did my yoga teacher training was that where awareness goes, energy flows. Mm, and so I've had that on my fridge for yeah. like 12 years. <laughs> totally. And it's a practice. And I just, I love the idea of, you know, putting out good energy, 
so that I can keep the awareness going and keep the awareness going so that there's good energy. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a journey for sure. Yeah. And I also, I love that. That's very approachable to kind of just look at it, you know, for your family as a whole and to just ask yourself daily, if you have to, is this heart, is this harming me or -hmm. is this helping me? Whatever decision that you're making for your child or for yourself surrounding that, I think asking yourself those questions can really help give you some clarity, especially if you do it over and over. Yeah. And just make it a practice, like you said. For sure. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough all the time, but it's especially tough in the beginning when you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wish there was like that, you know, what I would tell you about your pregnancy book for the special needs world, but it's, you know, we can, we're doing the best that we can. We're not, we're definitely not kind enough to ourselves. I'll tell you that right now. I, you know, my self-care buddy, when I'm in the depths of, you know, advocating or, you know, hearing the latest no from a team member that should be saying, well, maybe let me think about it and let's come up with a solution or a compromise you know, calling myself care buddy. And the first thing she usually says to me is, whoa, 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 you need to be kinder to yourself. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves to have all of these things figured out. When last time I checked, I didn't have a neurology degree or a doctorate in, you know, endocrinology or urology. So how could I possibly expect to know all of that, right? And I think when we get caught in that sort of the depths of that, trying to be the expert at everything that we don't have the clarity and the awareness to, to recognize, wow, this is, I'm in a deeper sea than I need to be right now. And there, there's nobody around, you know, throwing me a life preserver. Yeah. Make sure you put on a bright pink shirt. When yeah, you're exactly. thinking that for sure. <laughs> Go get it. You're going to need it for sure. <laughs> so these are awesome steps and I love it, but what about like for the physical activity too? Cause it's yeah. just as important for us to move our bodies as it is for us to shift our mindsets. It's pretty overwhelming, I think, for a lot of families or a lot of caregivers to try to make one more appointment, right? Even though it's for themselves, what would you say to them to make that space for themselves? And also, it's also really hard to turn off your worry and your fear and your stress when you go to this yoga class. How do you just take a breath and be in the moment and learn how to do this when you're constantly worried about your kid. I, yeah, that is definitely the magic question. I think for me, I can only speak on my particular experience. It definitely didn't happen right away. It was like, you know, meditate, what, breathe, what, like just this, none of it felt comfortable. And and it, it wasn't until I realized I was breathing these short, shallow breaths all the time, indicating that my body was in this, you know, neurological survival mode, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was sharing with a, a couple the other day that, you know, our family physicians and our, our the, the people that take care of us from a physical perspective, know that we likely have special needs kids, but are they asking those questions? Like, are you okay? Like, I mean, like, just based on what you're dealt, what you've been dealt with, are you okay? And so I think we need to be the ones asking and saying, listen, it's too much for me. And I think when we are constantly worrying and stressing out, uh, we're not likely booking those appointments or attending those classes because we're worried that it's going to be real noisy in our head when we get there. Um, and so we don't even try. And so I think yeah. making booking it or or whatever that is. So if it's, you know, this is obviously a unique time if you're not comfortable going to a studio lots of online offerings right now 
um, really, really inexpensive. There's even apps right now that are doing classes for free. So it might just be getting into a daily practice or a nightly practice of just quiet or listening to quiet music to just listen to your thoughts. And that can be real scary. And it was definitely scary. I would say it took me over a year for sure. And that's actually where it became very apparent for me that it was a control issue. Uh, and I, I just thought I was living in fear, 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 fear. I'm, you know, and then I assumed that that meant that I was weak, 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 weak. And what I realized is that I wasn't giving myself enough credit and that the fear was actually because I felt this general lack of control about every part of her life. And so when I go to a yoga class now, or when I teach one, or when I'm trying to facilitate one, I'm aware that people are going to be, there's going to be the inner DJ, what I call the DJ in your head, kind of spinning the records. Um, and that one day it might be a really, really loud pumping song in your head. And some days it'll be maybe a little bit quieter. And I think you just have to break the routine, do something different than what you're doing, try something different. If it's not a fit, move on to the next one and try something different. And it's a practice and it just baby steps. Literally, it could be 10 minutes of just listening to quiet music, sitting on a pillow in your closet. Like that's how I started. I just closed the door, sat on a cushion and just, I'm like, I'm going to try this out and see what happens. And then, you know, a year later, I'm, I'm doing the same thing and things are coming out. I'm starting to get emotional while I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, yeah. <laughs> what's happening here, right? And it's, it's, I think we just get so used to worrying about our kids and, and running around and that we, that we forget how stress is showing up in our body and how it's going to eventually start to break down systems in our body. And then all of a sudden we're caring full time, not working at our optimum, right? Where our bodies oh, yeah. are, our hormones are all wonky. We've got adrenal fatigue, like whatever it is for people. Um, but it's, it, if you don't start breaking the routine right now and trying something different to help bring your nervous system out of survival mode, I can guarantee that will not change five, 10 years from now. It's just going to be more intense. It is. It's just going to be more intense. And it's going to manifest, like you said, in your body so much, whether that be sickness or physical, you know, pain, it's it's always going to show up. You're never going to be able to just keep hustling and doing what you're doing if you don't go sit on that pillow right. in your closet or in your car, in the yeah. garage, like whatever small space small spaces and times that you can show up for yourself, even if it's just to cry or whatever, or right. listen to a song. Yeah. Find a really beautiful view that you have in your area that you really like. And just like, if you have childcare, go run for the hills, right? Like literally <laughs> hop in the yes. car and don't look back, go to the view and just yes. turn your radio off and just sip tea and just look at the view. That to me is like, therapeutic. I know the viewpoint that I go to. I I even one of my favorite things pre COVID is going to the library, going to the magazine section, grabbing all the celebrity stuff I can find, <laughs> sitting in a corner with my headphones on and catching up on celebrity gossip, even though I've never watched any of the shows, the movies, read the book, whatever. <laughs> but I am not thinking about my kid. I'm not thinking yep. about stress. I'm in this celebrity universe for just a half an hour and I come out feeling better. So I decide for myself, is it a view day where I need like quiet or is it like, let's bring on Brad Pitt and Jen Aniston? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think another obstacle there for a lot of people is guilt, right? Like so mm -hmm. many people throw that word around 
even more than actually feeling it, I think. And I just think that that's also a practice, right? Like recognizing what makes you feel guilty, why it's making you feel guilty, and knowing that it's okay to feel guilty sometimes. And I just don't think that it's an it's an emotion that has to be like shamed at all because I think you care when you feel guilty, but I also don't think that it's a it's a black mark on you and it's okay to run away and do whatever you need to do and leave your kid and forget about them for a moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. Guilt is something that we've brought on ourselves. It's not somebody can't make you feel guilty. You're bringing the guilt on, right? And yeah. so if if you can separate from that a little bit and, and you know, it's, I think we, we talked a little bit about in one of our self-care Zooms that it, it might even come down to something deeper, which is way beyond my scope, but the whole idea around worth, right? Am I worth the taking the time to do this? And what will the family think? And what will you know, whatever those, whatever the languages that you're using around your, the, the reasons why you're not doing it. And if, if that's the case, then there's work to be done. And I, and I think that that means that you need to talk to somebody because yeah. likely there's grief underlying there. And, you know, for me, a big, big moment was when I stopped making the baby book. And not only because Darby's 13, because I had one of those books when I was a kid that went all the way to grade 12. So that my grade 12 picture was in it and my mom stuffed all the sports certificates in it and whatever it was and I stopped the baby book around grade two grade three because all it did was make me feel sad and guilty and remind me how there's no milestones being hit there's no boxes that I can check what do you want to be what does she want to be when she grows up I'm like alive like oh with, with me, like, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know. She's nonverbal. I think she wants to be able to breathe without needing oxygen. So, you know, so making choices like that, where I can let go of the guilt because it wasn't yeah. feeding anybody, anybody's energy. And Darby definitely didn't care that I let that go. <laughs> yeah. And so I think making, you know, like going back to the original question about the physical well-being, I think if you can take care of sort of the mental stuff that's kind of coming up, and for a lot of us, that's grief. And I go back to that poem that I heard very early on in my my special needs, you know, community, and, and it was the Welcome to Holland. Did you ever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we all got sent I know, that it's poem. Like, it's like a rite of passage <laughs> or something. And so, you know, recognizing that it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. It's not Italy. But it's not like you're not in, you know, a really scary, dark hole that's like doesn't have beautiful moments. Right. So it's sort of that reframing and finding yeah. the, the issues that you might have surrounding the, the, the guilt or the shame or whatever it is that might be coming up. And I say that with, you know, when my husband and I went to we went to marriage counseling for a little bit because that we were, our communication was off and I'm like, I don't want to be, you know, that family that has to sort of part ways because we just couldn't figure this, this life, this crazy, crazy life that we were leading. And it was so ironic, Effie, because when we left the first appointment on the way out, the therapist said, I just want to tell you guys that this isn't going to be marriage counseling. This is going to be grief counseling. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So if we don't take care of the reality that this isn't Italy, you know, that, that we, that we're in Holland and that we we're stepping up, we're, we're, we're trying to do everything we can and we might be losing ourselves along the way, but if we can take care of the mental pieces, whether that's speaking to somebody, whether it's, you know, going out for tea with somebody who can listen and just 
be kind and compassionate or whatever it looks like for you. I think the physical stuff comes comes with that, right? If you can take care of what's going on in between the ears, the muscles and the rest of the body, and sometimes they happen at the same time and sometimes one needs to happen first. And and so if you're not getting up off the couch, even though you have childcare and it's a beautiful day and you're watching that Netflix series that's like super downer and just makes you feel like crap afterwards, you're making choices that are not supporting the bigger picture, which is how you're rescuing yourself through this process. So I, I want everybody to enjoy Holland, you know, and there's not, it's, Holland isn't awesome all the time. Trust <laughs> we're nine surgeries in, had a huge one in September, but I think when we can create space in our life and open up our hearts and take care of ourselves with a different lens, all of a sudden Holland can look a little bit like Italy at times. I love that. I would love to continue this conversation on another episode if you're open to it, because I just think there's so much value in this topic. And this is one of the topics that's most important to me personally, because this is something I noticed in my life really early on and have been consciously making steps to ensure that, you know, I don't get stuck. So yeah, I think you have a lot of really important insight and you're ahead of me in the journey. And um, I'm handing yeah. you my hand. <laughs> I think, thank you. I think that a lot of a lot of our guests would really, really benefit from talking about this a little more. Thank you. Yeah. OK, so tell everyone where they can find you, Tyra, and if there's anything else that you want to leave us with for today. OK, so you can find me on Facebook or Instagram, Mind Over Matt. And I, I'm just low key, especially right now with the COVID uh, protocol. So I'm mostly online. And yeah, I just I I want everybody to remember that, you know, this journey is is challenging. It doesn't likely look like it's going to get easier later on. And so if you can start making little baby steps towards treating yourself the way that you're likely investing into your own special needs child, if you can give a little bit of that energy and love to yourself. It's going to make for a much better experience in, on the special needs world. Amen. Thank you so much, Tyra. It was You're welcome. awesome talking to you today. Thank you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. 